Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I am Eric Pfeiffer. Glad to have you along. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. And today we're going to be talking about spring herbicide applications. When should we be terminating that cover crop and the potential effects of residual herbicides on later cover crop establishment? And we've got a couple of experts here to talk about it today, a couple of farmer experts. And uh, one is Cameron Mills with the Cass County Soil and Water Conservation District and the other Jamie Scott with with the Kosciuszko County Soil and Water Conservation District. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. And Cameron, I'll start with you. Uh, you're, you're both veterans of this podcast. We're, we're reintroducing you to folks, but please do introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your operation. Okay, great, Eric. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, so Cameron Mills from uh, Walton, Indiana. Um, we farm uh, just short of 4,000 acres, and uh, we do no-till and cover crops on every acre. So um, we brought livestock back into the farm, and uh, so that kind of gives you the general idea and, and area that we farm in. Jamie Scott, also here, Kosciuszko County. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and, and your operation, Jamie. Yeah, so uh, Jamie Scott here from uh, Pearson, Indiana, uh, and farm full-time. We've got just under 2,000 acres, uh, then also have a uh, cover crop uh, seed business where we interact with uh, almost 100,000 acres of uh, cover crops and, and soil health stuff out there. So a couple of soil health champions on the podcast today. We're, we're happy to have you both here. And, and we will talk spring herbicide applications here in just a moment. But I just want to get an idea of where we're at here. The calendar is turned. We're in April now. We've had some dry stretches here. Uh, Cameron, what about you? Where, where are you at right now? What are you getting ready for? And uh, how close are you to being ready for plant 2020? Well, we're, we're getting there every day, obviously. Uh, it's still been pretty cool. We, we, it was pretty chilly this morning. Um, we've got wheat to top dress yet. Uh, we haven't got that done. So hopefully maybe here in the next day or two, if it dries out some, um, the cover crops have definitely greened up. Um, the last two weeks have really kicked them into gear as far as greening up. Uh, definitely not not ready to spray yet, but they're definitely looking a lot better. Um, we've had a little bit of temperature. The soil's warming up slightly, um, but but we're we're not ready to spray yet. Even if we want to terminate before planting, um, we're not there yet. But but definitely coming along. It it looks like we've got opportunities maybe to be a little earlier on on terminating and maybe planting than last year. So we're hopeful for that because we sure don't want to go through another uh, 2019 train wreck. No one wants that. Jamie, I'm sure you can attest to that as well. Uh, talk a little bit about where you're at and what you're up to now as we get set for plant 2020. Yeah, so we're putting the finishing touches on. Uh, we got a drill, a planter, a side dress applicator, and sprayer, all four kind of in the shop, just finishing uh, those up right now and uh, getting all of our supplies in. Uh, we got uh, some products in again yesterday and, and just getting prepared for, you know, when it does warm up and, and, uh, you know, hopefully it's not like last year. Uh, we sat here prepared for about a month uh, before we got to use all that. But, 
you know, I think that plan A is just getting everything ready for, you know, whether it breaks here next week or, or in three weeks. So let's get into this. Spring herbicide applications, and Jamie, I'll come right back to you. Cameron mentioned that, you know, his cover crops are starting to green up here, but maybe not quite there yet to be terminated. Uh, when should farmers and co-ops start burning down cover crops? Yeah, so I think the the most critical thing when it comes to terminating a cover crop is that it be actively growing. And so, you know, our yard grass is greened up. Uh, that doesn't mean it's really growing yet. And so we kind of get a little bit nervous in the springtime when we get a sunny day, uh, you know, maybe touch 60 degrees a couple times. But then, you know, like last night, we were down to 20 some degrees. So um, we're greening up. We're just not there yet. Um, I say, uh, the first, uh, item is that if, uh, you know, you mow the grass the first time you're kind of topping it off just to keep it from looking ugly. Then the second time it, it you know, you're mowing the whole yard that that's when cover crops are actively growing too. Uh, and that's when we're going to head and spray. Um, and then, uh, watching those nighttime lows, uh, if it gets down there to 20 some degrees, like last night, we're not going to be too excited about spraying, uh, that next day. And when we talk about, you, you mentioned temperatures, Cameron, is there any other, uh, factors that, that really come into account, uh, other than, than temperature and, and when those things start growing? Yeah. So Jamie touched on it there about, we want these plants actively growing. And, and I like his, his lawnmower analogy with the yard. That's, that's a great analogy. I mean, we want these with, with these plants, these, these cover crops actively growing. We, we want them to, to put on some new top tissue growth because you know, through the winter, the tissue that's there, you know, typically we'll get a little wind burnt and that won't uh, translocate the, the herbicide into the, the leaf tissue to kill it. Um, so, you know, getting, you know, three, four, five, six inches of new top growth on top after, you know, that plant has, has woken up really helps, helps that herbicide translocate a lot better into the plant. Um, and uh, it, it, it really needs to be um, thought of that, that we need to, to make sure Along with the new top growth, understanding that not all cover crops are ready to spray at the same time. So, so annual ryegrass, for instance, versus cereal rye, versus maybe hairy vetch or rapeseed or clovers, they don't all break at the same time. So you may be able to spray a cover crop out before another one just because it may not have broke the spring at the same timing. So understand just because maybe one has grown three or four inches or five inches and the temperatures are good. The other one may not be, you know, out of that, what we would call winter dormancy, even though it's not, you know, we just want to make sure that things are, are actively growing. So you need to check everything. That That's a great point. You know, that each cover crop is uh, different. And so, you know, we look back to a year like 2012 that a lot of farmers remember uh, you know, we were 70 degrees in March, uh, and, and everyone wanted to go spray. We had some of those species that, that were uh, ready to spray. We had others that were not. We just didn't have enough days, uh, and we had nighttime lows that got us. And so um, each one of those species is going to be different in, in that timing. Uh, if you've got single species, um, you know, spraying becomes a little bit easier sometimes to hitting that versus when you get these multi-species mixes, 
um, you've kind of got to wait for all of them to be actively growing and ready to spray. And Jamie, what are what are some of the consequences if you do spray too early? Yeah, so I'll go back and use that 2012 as, as an example of spraying too early. And, um, you know, it, it greened up, but it just wasn't actively growing. And so some of the chemicals that we're going to use have to translocate into that plant. If it's not actively growing, it's not going to help us do that. And um, what we'll do is we'll get, uh, you know, maybe some of the cover crop burnt. Uh, we'll get some of it that, that just never was touched and greens back up. The problem with that is that plant uh, is never fully uh, actively growing again sometimes. You can stun it to where it then struggles to take chemical in the next time. And so we want to be patient. We want to hit it when it's right. Um, you know, get those warm, sunny days where the nighttime lows haven't been, say, below 40 degrees. Uh, and, and do it one time and, and do it right that way. Cameron, what advice do you have if we do get a wet spring like we had last year and cover crops get away? Well, that's a good question. If, uh, if it's like a 2019 spring um, <clears throat> or a later spring, I, everybody's got their own comfort zone on, on cover crops and planting green. Uh, we've been doing it a, a couple, two or three years now. Uh, feel real, real comfortable with it. Um, I, I, I guess, I guess one of the things I would really be concerned about is if, if, if we get into that later scenario where the cover crops are really growing fast, um, the, the, the big no, no in my mind would be to go out and spray that cover crop and not be able to plant it before the next rain. Because if, uh, let's say you get, you, you spray a nice lush, tall cover crop, it rains and you can't get back in there for three weeks and the cover crop dies and it falls down, it's going to create a mat that will be almost impenetrable to dry out anytime soon. And um, several guys have had bad experiences with that and not getting their crops planted or just having a complete mess. So um, I guess if you're, if, if you get to that point, like we were last year, we just planted everything green with the planter. So we waited till it was right to plant or as close as we could to being right to plant. And we went out and planted our crop, corn and beans both. And then we followed up with the sprayer, uh, obviously before the crop emerged. And we terminated the cover crop and put our residual on at the same time. Now that's normally not recommended. We'd like to keep those applications separate if possible, especially for newer guys and cover crops. Um, but last year, you know, as, as everybody knows, it was just a complete train wreck. And so we were, before we ever got the, the planting, I think we were on plan, you know, F or G, we were way out there in plan um, and, and what we had intended to start with. So the the thought process of planting green, you know, the planters are really built to go through anything. Um, you know, it's, it's really not that hard to plant in the standing green crop and then to terminate it afterwards. Um, that way, at least you know that your crop is planted. And once you terminate it, that cover crop falls down. It's just going to create a nice thatch. Um, but definitely do not want to spray it and then wait. Um, if you can spray it and then plant it the next day, I think that's okay. But you definitely want to want to make sure you don't uh, create that wet mat that you can't ever get dried out. 
You're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana. Find more about their programs at ccsin.org. I'm with Cameron Mills in Cass County and Jamie Scott in Kosciuszko County. Cameron, you mentioned being on Plan G, Plan F. Uh, I guess, you know, how should, because really we probably have a lot of new folks that might be tuning into this that maybe just got started in cover crops after that train wreck of 2019. Where should folks go? What should they do to create plan B, C, D, E, F, G? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, um, we, we, we try to come up with plans as far out as we possibly can for rotating cash crops and cover crops and herbicide programs and making sure that everything, you know, so we've been on what we were going to do last for this year, last year, knowing and planning and prepping before we ever planted those cover crops because of last spring's herbicide program. So what we do now will affect this fall's cover crops, you know, as far as uh, um, residuals and things like that. Um, so I guess I like to, I, you know, find a mentor in your area, somebody that is uh, doing cover crops successfully and pick their brain. I mean, the internet is a, is a vast opportunity to get connected with people that are doing things. Um, you know, there's guys that we know all over the country um, and even in Ontario and other places that are doing cover crops very successfully. It's great to talk with them and pick their brain, understanding that guys in Kansas may not be doing exactly everything that we're doing because they're in different weather pattern. But again, um, finding somebody in your area that, 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 that you can mentor off of successfully to come up with your plan A. We're already on plan B. We've already changed some thought processes here in the last couple of weeks and, and that seems a little early but um you know it's it's just the way the the year will will present itself and we'll continue to tweak our plans um and and have some backup plans along the way but i, I definitely think you need to be ever evolving those plans as you go through the year and as we go through the summer we'll evolve next year's plans as we're going uh, understanding that you know we may tweak some cover crop um seeding uh, mixes for this later summer right now we know kind of what we want to do but you know we may see something this spring that may change our mind a little bit so we ever tweaking things um and in what we're what we're trying to accomplish and jamie i assume you would echo that in, in reaching out i know you have a lot of folks that that you uh are in contact with constantly in your area uh what are some good resources there for folks to reach out well i yeah, I would echo what Cameron said. I mean, uh, we're always uh, looking at those plan Bs. Uh, you know, say in 2019 was a train wreck. It was in the sense that we had to go to plan B, C, you know, on down the list, uh, multiple letters there. Uh, but it wasn't a train wreck as far as the termination of cover crops. You know, we, we just adapted our plan to still make it successful and part of that is that communication and, and who would I talk to? I would talk to that person that's done it um, multiple times and done it successfully. Um, I can tell you that Cameron and I talk daily uh, when it comes to that time of year. Uh, you, you know, you use the word experts, but even even we're comparing notes and saying, hey, what if we get an inch of rain today? what what's next or boy we got an inch of rain last night now what are we doing and 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 even though we've done it successful we're still comparing notes um i've had people that call me every day for two weeks asking questions and and i tell them that's fine 
I would rather have that than someone call me in two weeks and say, I messed up. Uh, it's a lot easier to do that plan ahead than it is to come back and clean up some of those messes. Uh, so I, I would look to those people uh, that have done it successfully multiple times with different cover crops, with a whole bank of knowledge there. Uh, and those are the ones that I would contact and, and sponge uh, in- information off of. You are listening to the Hatch Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana. And you can find more about their programs and their schedule of events, though a lot of it says postponed or canceled right now. It's still good to keep track of those events at ccsin.org. I'm here with Cameron Mills in Cass County, Jamie Scott from Kosciuszko County. And let's let's take a step back here, Cameron, and talk a little bit about your plan uh, what is your plan for residuals this year, and are you thinking ahead for what might come in the fall? Absolutely, um, that's a very good question. We're we are we're all like I said earlier, we're always looking ahead, and and that's why our plans change so often. So um, ideally, we'd like to do some spraying before we plant, uh, as far as maybe put on some two four D to get some of those broadleaves uh, controlled early on, and then. Uh, you know, after planting, after we plant, we'll terminate the cover crop, and then we will uh, we will put on our residual at that time. The thing to remember about the residuals, um, and there's a lot of good links online to to read labels and things. Some of these herbicide labels have a long tail on them. Um, they're great herbicides; uh, they control weeds very well. But again, understanding that um, some of them have a long enough tail on them, the later we spray, you know, depending on the summer weather. Some of those can have an effect on how our cover crops may establish in in the, the fall. May also affect how they overwinter um, next winter. And that seems like a long ways away. But um, if you have a real harsh winter with very little snow protection, um, sometimes the uh, the cover crop uh, with the the herbicide interaction that's left over could you know be the straw that broke the camel's back and just not allow it to overwinter may just die out and uh, sometimes you know jamie and i've both seen where um there's been um very poor rooting on cover crops just because the herbicide interaction the residual left over from that cash crop um just ate on the roots enough that didn't allow good root growth i mean yeah there was top growth but we didn't get that vital root growth below that we really are shooting for so um you know it's important to read labels understand um, you know, how long a tail some of these herbicides have. Uh, there are good resources. Penn State puts out a good resource. Um, uh, Purdue puts out some resources and other things. But just understanding uh, to read those labels, and, and uh, sometimes they give you little guidelines on cover crops and grazing and other things on there to, to kind of go by. And, Jamie, what about you and your plan for this year? Yeah, so I think we talked about, uh, you know, the cover crop greening up and and being actively growing to spray. You know, once we actually head to the field, um, you know, my operation might be a little bit different than Cameron's or others. Um, I tell those that are starting out in cover crops or or to eliminate some issues is I'm going to go out here as soon as I can and and spray uh, 2,4-D, a broadleaf killer of some sort, uh, to, to knock down those broad leaves on my farm. That may or may not be the same time I'm terminating my cover crop. Um, sometimes it's in the same sprayer load. Sometimes it's not. 
Um, you know, as far as workload, um, I know Cameron and others, uh, think that I'm crazy, but, uh, you know, there's times where uh, I go across that field three times, uh, right up front in the spring, uh, to lay down broad leaves, the grasses, and then my residual. Um, and so I think that's critical if you're going to troubleshoot of how I didn't terminate a cover crop, uh, that I didn't have too many variables in there. But also, uh, you know, I think it's important that, uh, you know, mixing some of those products. And so I, I get some people that say, well, I, I did exactly what you said to terminate the cover crops. Uh, they just got a wrong mixing order. Um, they didn't get their water conditioned properly because of adding different things for those different products. I, I think that's something we want to be careful of. Um, and then also, again, I think the reason that Cameron and I have been successful at burn down and at establishing cover crops is we're looking at this whole process, uh, and that residual chemical is, is a big problem for next year's cover crops. And so, uh, we're reading those, uh, labels all the time. We're looking at those, uh, uh, uh information that he talked about from Penn State, Wisconsin, Missouri, again, uh, Purdue, those, those places have some uh, great uh, uh, resources for you to look at. Uh, but looking out there so that we have a, a clean field to start out with to put our cash crop in uh, and then keeping it clean up until the point we want to seed next year's cover crop and not beyond uh, because we have seen to where we don't get our return on investment due to some of those residual chemicals that we've used at times. Um, you know, when it comes to uh, getting the best bang for our buck out of the cover crop. Gentlemen, as we start to wind down our conversation here on spring herbicide applications and cover crop termination, what are some things that we missed, some things that uh, maybe I didn't get covered and, and you think really need to be discussed? I think that um, something that you and I both do is that, um, you know, we look at each chemical that we're using and, and get the pluses and minuses of that. We didn't look at each product uh, or species of cover crop or weed that we're going to spray and get our pluses and minuses of that. And when you combine that chemical and the cover crop pluses and minuses, I really feel that's why we've been successful in terminating things is we look at best case, worst case scenarios and then adjust to plan B and C and D from there. You know, one of the things we need to maybe think about is, is that Roundup is a very common uh, termination uh, herbicide of cover crops. We may want to also understand that, that Roundup doesn't kill every cover crop, that sometimes you have to add that broadleaf, like a 2,4-D, like a dicamba, something to take out the rapeseed, the vetches, and some of the other uh, broadleaf cover crops that we use because glyphosate won't take those all out by themselves. And I, I only thought about that because Jamie and I both had that that conversation and question posed to both of us that they killed their grass and their cover crop mix, but they didn't kill maybe the rapeseed or whatever other broadleaf uh, that they had in their mix. And uh, then they've got it in their cash crop and they're not very happy. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Soil Health Podcast. Uh, Cameron Mills from Cass County, Jamie Scott from Kosciuszko County, a couple of soil health champions, and very glad to have you on uh, the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to speak.
Yeah, it was great to be here, and uh, hopefully it was uh, educational. And again, uh, you know, share ideas with uh, neighbors and uh, learn from them. Really great information there from both Cameron and Jamie, soil health champions. Cameron from Cass County, Jamie Scott from Kosciuszko County. If this is the first soil health podcast that you're listening to and you thought, boy, that was a lot of good information, you're missing out because we've got many, many more podcasts. You can go back, whosyouragtoday.com. Just click on the Soil Health tab, and all of our archived podcasts are there as well. Go back, take some time to listen. You can learn an awful lot, especially if you are new to the cover crop game. You're, you're really going to find a lot of this information useful. My thanks again to Cameron and Jamie. My thanks to the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative for sponsoring today's Soil Health Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and this has been a presentation of Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.